This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. This week I'm joined by Dale Wood, who is Strategic Consulting Director at Dentsu Aegis Network, and Claire O'Rourke, who is Research Lead at Dentsu Aegis Network. Welcome to both of you. Well, hi. 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 Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> First of all, how are things going? How is working remotely going? Are you, is everyone safe? Are y'all keeping well? So Dave, for me, I'm actually in my element because I'm an introvert. So happy out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the complete opposite. Can't wait to be back in the office. I'll be fighting people to get in the door. And I'm somewhere in the middle, I think. So yeah, I think working from home in small doses is good. Um, but everyone's safe. Yeah, that's good. Most yeah, importantly, everyone's strange safe. strange times. Yeah, indeed. And I suppose we'll kick off there because we, you know, this is not about COVID per se, but then everything to a degree is about COVID. So we'll touch on that in a second. But I think this week we're looking at a really interesting consumer research piece that I read in the Irish Times today, written by yourself, Dale. Um, and I'd urge listeners to, to check it out. It's a really great piece of research. I'll, I'll start with you, Dale. It talks, it's called The Conscious Consumer. So before we get into it, can you just tell me a little bit of the background to this research? As I understand it, it looks at some of the motivations and attitudes of consumers in Ireland. And without being overly simplistic about it, it's really about the importance of putting consumers at the heart of planning, understanding what influences them and influences their behavior. And most importantly, those influences on a purchase decision. So will you just kind of give me an elevator picture, a top-down overview of the research and what it was designed to achieve? Yeah, so it was a really kind of interesting trigger point in a sense that sort of got Claire and I thinking that it would be a really nice project to have a look at for 2020. Because as we started thinking about, as our clients and brands have to think about putting the consumer in the center of their planning, I think we've got quite good at that. And I think most brands bring the consumer voice into their positioning and their communications development. But I think what's interesting about the environment today, obviously pre-COVID to some extent, but COVID as well, is understanding the context in which you're placing your brand and your communications. Because that's now changing so quickly and new issues are changing the way consumers evaluate and think about purchase decisions, understanding the context in which you're placing your advertising from that consumer point of view is now as important as making sure that consumers got a voice within your brand development. Mm. So that's kind of what kicked it off. Yeah, and because I think consumers at the heart of planning, it's not something new. It's kind of changed what it looks like in different, it has different guises. But I yeah. think that the idea of putting consumers at the heart of it is really, is really, really important. Uh, and before we get into the details, can you just tell me just a little bit about the methodology? How was it a big sample size? How, how robust are we talking about? It was very robust. And it's actually an, in, it's an interesting answer because at, in Dentsu Aegis Network, what we do is we have a, a piece of research that informs all our channel planning tools called the Consumer connection study and it's very robust it's about four and a half thousand irish adults that we go and speak to religiously every single year because it's the data that informs a lot of our planning tools and what we're able to do with that is we're able to go back into those that panel and and ask them specific questions relating to a specific issue and and what we chose to do is to use that panel so we went back to about 1100 of them Okay. to ask them some of these more more trend-based, kind of contextual-based questions. Now, mm. importantly, this was actually done toward the end of 2019. So this was in field in December. And actually, okay. we thought long and hard about, does it still have validity within this new reality that we're living? 
And actually, we think it it really, really does. As we started looking at the information, it was fascinating to understand what the sort of big, chunky issues were for consumers as we headed into this crisis. My guess, Dave, is that they're not going to be enormously different coming out of this crisis. Mm. The weighting of them will change. Yeah, yeah. But I still think I still think it's really, really important um, work, and and I think we found it quite helpful in in the work that we're doing for our clients every day. Yeah, great, and and it is. It, it's in slightly more detail in, in the Irish Times. But you mentioned that it, it takes a look at these big contextual changes that are happening in, in society, and I think it's an interesting provocation because you, you talk in the article about looking at things more broadly. Because I think when we get into planning and things like that, and I know I do it myself, you're kind of knee deep right into the category, down into the weeds of that category. And I think quite often it's important, but the context or the greater cultural context is probably a really important thing that we probably don't do an awful lot on. And the way I, I kind of explain it is so looking at things through a prism, not a microscope. So take an outward view about things broader in your category, but could you just talk about some of the, the big issues that came out of it? And we, we can talk about how maybe COVID changes the weighting um, later on, but what were the big things that came out? What were the, the big trends that you saw? So I think the three big things that we found particularly interesting was one of the things that we asked Irish consumers to do is tell us to rank their top three biggest concerns. And what we found was Climate change, health, and poverty were by far the three biggest concerns that Irish consumers felt were impacting their world. So if we kind of just take a moment to think about those things, that's really interesting. From a health point of view, I think the really interesting point of view there was that health in a general term came up, I think it was second, but mental health was almost equal to overall health. So that's that's a significant change. The level of concern around mental health is telling us something different about where consumers' headspaces are at. So on one hand, it's fantastic. It's fantastic that mental health is getting the airing and getting the acceptability that, that, that it needs. But on the other hand, the fact that it's being ranked in the top three for Irish consumers as a concern was quite a big shock and 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 something I think that we really need to understand more about. And for brands, we need to be really careful about mm. how we think about that. So that was one kind of really interesting thing. The, the poverty side of it was also interesting. When you think about what we'd been through over the last sort of 10, 15 years coming out of the recession, you would think that we were sort of on the up and up. But certainly mm. the February election played out what we learned in this research, which is that it is still a massive issue. And we've kind of like looked at the three areas around poverty. So people were concerned about poverty. They were concerned about kind of wealth distribution not being equal, Mm. but also they were worried about unemployment. And unemployment levels at that time weren't bad. But when you kind of started looking at consumer sentiment around that time and economic outlook around that time, it was quite surprisingly low given where where we were at as a country. Right. So that that was interesting. Climate change just sort of blew us out of the water because most people, I think it was in total of 38% of people in pure climate change terms said it was their biggest concern. Wow, okay. But when you link it to deforestation and some of the other issues are linked to climate change, it was by far and above one of the biggest issues coming out of this piece of research. Now, that is where I think COVID is going to change things because I think that will potentially come down the list a little bit as some of the more economic pressures come up the list. Yeah, I guess I would imagine. So 
you know, I think in the article I read, it says it's funny, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So I'd imagine that those three things will still be a priority and a concern for people. I guess like in terms of that shifting the waiting, I guess mental health becomes much more important now, I would imagine, given like, first yeah. of all, it's great to see that mental health is just much more talked about and, you know, there's less stigma around it. So I think it's brilliant. And I think that there's a lot of people and spokespeople and media and companies have done a lot in that to promote that. I know we've done quite a bit. Um, so it's great to see that come through. I'd imagine that in terms of the, the waiting, would you expect to see that, you know, become maybe even more prominent now with the situation we're in and maybe climate concern less so? Yeah, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how we untangle all of this. So I think from the health point of view, I think there's something very interesting here is that there was a brilliant paper, and I would urge people to go actually and read it, that was published at the end of December in 2018 by the European Journal of Health Economics in terms of understanding the impact of the recession, the Great Recession on Ireland. And what that showed is that the sort of domino effect of a recession that it has in terms of often economic crisis, you inevitably end up with a health crisis played mm. out with this data. Right. But given that we're in COVID, and COVID is at its face value, a health crisis. But actually, I think this is a health crisis that's going to have a domino effect of an economic crisis. And then a further effect of a a different type of health crisis. So whilst we're trying to struggle the the harsh reality of a scary pandemic, the mental health and health impact of this in the long term is is going to be with us for many, many years. So I think that's going to continue to be a big issue and if not a bigger issue. Claire, I'm going to come to you in a second, just get into it because there was some really interesting figures and insights that come out of it. But just before we do that day, I just want to talk to you briefly about you. You mentioned the squeeze middle, the 45 to 54s as a demographic and some interesting insights about them as people and potentially this, you know, how their attitudes are driven. Because you talked about it there, the residual effect from the last recession. And do you just want to touch on that for a second for me just to explain? Yes. So, Dave, this was a huge shock to us. And we had to sort of go back into the data a few times. But as we went through the data, what we saw consistently is that this 45 to 54 year old age group was behaving very differently to the norm that that came out of this research. And it it was really interesting. So the first thing that sort of came out is that they would be they were much more likely to be value conscious and much less likely to be socially conscious than other consumers. Right. Okay. Yeah. They were also the people who were most disappointed that the 2020 um, budget didn't change tax bans and rates. They are also the people that smoked more, drank more, and exercised less. So there was something sort of starting to pull out of this data that this is a group of people that are much more pessimistic than the rest of the Irish consumers and were being driven and motivated by different things as they started to think about uh, purchase decisions. But when you start thinking about these are the people who would have been in that 35 to 44-year-old age bracket in the sort of midst of the recession. And I think that's going to be a really interesting output from COVID as well. Mm. But the knock-on effect, so 10, 15 years later, this is a group of people that are still deeply impacted by that recession. So that was really interesting. 
They all sound perfectly normal to me, Dale. They sound like all my friends. So um, yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what the, what the shock is. It didn't sound shocking to me. Um, yeah, and then lastly, before we get into some of the, the meat of the, the findings, you, you mentioned this digital pivot. And while adoption of technology isn't surprising, and particularly, I think, given as some of the figures that we have, and Claire, you, we'll talk on in a second, in terms of the usage and penetration of, of different technologies and trust in that is not surprising. I'd say it's, it's even more so since lockdown. But you mentioned that the embrace of technology is, is quite extraordinary. Dale. So, and funny because we had David Hochter from TikTok on a couple of weeks ago, and that's one that has just really the zeitgeist is just right for that to flourish at the moment, just in terms of connecting people. But you want to just quickly talk about this digital pivot that you mentioned before we get into some of the really interesting findings? Yeah. So for me, this was kind of fascinating because as we were writing this workout just at around that time, I think it was the third week of April, an interesting thing happened that I thought just visualized what's happening to our world so beautifully, which was Travis Scott appeared kind of unannounced in Fortnite, the game, Mm -hmm. and did a 10 minute concert in the middle of a COVID global lockdown which was just extraordinary when you think about how easily during COVID we've just comfortably shifted our lives to living in a, in a digital world. So TikTok and Zoom and, and many other platforms just absolutely exploding. Now, obviously, that's not going to continue. But given that this work was done prior to COVID, we yeah. had already seen evidence that people were increasingly just living their lives online. of people in Ireland now play online games. Wow, yeah. Which is mad. 22% are actively watching esports. Yeah. And they're doing so for all the same reasons why we watch regular sports. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good point and we, we'll touch on that. Claire, I'm going to come to you now. We'll touch on that because quite often, I, th- I think quite consumers lead in lots of areas and the ad industry and other industries are late to follow. And it's hard when you, you have a perception, about, particularly gaming is quite interesting in esports when you, you might have a mental image of somebody that you, you think is in that. So it was brilliant to see. I mean, I love when we get some insights specifically into Irish consumers and some hard numbers in terms of usage and penetration, but also some of the, Claire FM was really great. Some of the, the more interesting things when you scratch those surface. So I, I think I saw 22% of homes have connected device um, with 18% of people using them regularly. But it did. The thing I really liked about it was you got into some really interesting areas like um, trust in organizations, trust in these digital devices, um, and not just in an absolute figure, but vis-a-vis other bodies or other technology providers or other companies. So can you just talk, Claire, a little bit about some of those findings of what, what came through? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose coming in talking about trust in devices, it's really important to think about why why we care about this. And actually, as you mentioned, with 18% of us actually using smart devices in the home regularly, when you think about what we're doing with our smart devices, our Alexas, Google Homes, we're asking them questions, we're getting them to search for products. So that trust is really imperative. And what we found is that a quarter do trust their intelligent home assistant. And that compares to 40% trusting Google, whereas only 16% of people trust Facebook. But actually, that's on par with the level of trust we were seeing in the government at the time. And I think that's really fascinating when people are actually trusting their intelligent home assistants to the same level of the people who actually 
enact our laws and our policies. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't surprise me in one way, but yeah, it is quite interesting. I think the penetration of those devices and the usage of them, the adoption is massive. But trust is really is really one that that is interesting for me. And and in the piece and the the work you've done, you talked about you just mentioned it there about Facebook's trust being low, and you pointed out that that's predominantly driven by their algorithm that perpetuates fake news. But you know everybody knows that, and I think what was really interesting was again scratching the surface. So you pointed out that lots of people admitted to having shared what turned out to be fake news without checking that themselves. So that questions, is it Facebook's fault? Where does the onus of responsibility lie? Or do we not have a, a level of responsibility ourselves to, to check things before we go and, and send them on as gospel to everyone else? And I think given our industry, Claire, talking about that's really the importance of trusted media providers, whether it is the Irish Times or an RTE or somebody like that, that, you know, somebody does that fact checking for it. Is it a case that we're just not bothered fact checking, we just share stuff? Will you touch on that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. I think that idea of the onus um, of responsibility and some of the blame is really interesting when it comes to fake news. And I think Facebook actually get a disproportionate amount of the blame with over half of people thinking, regardless of where fake news comes from, it is in fact Facebook's fault. Mm. And consumers are also expecting Facebook to do something about it at the same level that they expect the publisher of the fake news to do something. So I think Facebook have really been damaged, actually, by the fact that they've been so associated by fake news, when at the same time, only 30% of people are checking the accuracy of what they read online. And nearly a quarter of our consumers admitted to having shared something they then subsequently realized was fake. And I think, you know, a quarter of people is huge. And that's taking out the number of people who don't realize that what they shared with friends and family members was actually fake news. And we've really seen this as well during COVID. Constantly, time and time again, we're actually seeing media publishers having to debunk um, messages that are going out via WhatsApp group and via individual social networks. So I think it's a really interesting interplay between some of those more traditional media sources and the individual. Yeah, it is. A, it's, a, it's a good point because I think, and maybe it's just a problem with social that, you know, if you're not first out with things, you're, you know, you may as well be last. And it takes time to check things. And particularly for consumer behavior, it tends to be ready, fire, aim. And we worry about whether it's factually correct or not later on. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting that Facebook getting a, being held to account as if they were a publisher. And, they, and they'll say they're not. Um, they're a platform, but people potentially expect them to do a little bit more. There was some really interesting facts and data on um, what we call some of the the smaller or maybe perceived smaller or niche apps and platforms and most usage for Irish consumers. And I, I guess you, you mentioned a TikTok figure. I guess that's grown sharply since then in the current climate. But what are the things that came up? And w- when we think about it, you know, from brands point of view, what surprised you? Are there any kind of things coming along that, that you know, and the outside rail that we need to watch and what should brands be thinking about? So there's probably some things that, you know, I'd never even heard of. Yeah, absolutely. There, so there's some really interesting apps that, haven't necessarily, I suppose, penetrated the general psyche, um, like Telegram, which is a new messaging app, which actually 20% of consumers have. Then there's TikTok, as you mentioned, which back in December had 17% of consumers had it on their phone, which we think would have grown incredibly sharply since then throughout COVID. Mm-hmm. And then Reddit, something often seen as kind of a young a young people's platform, 34%, so wow. a third of consumers actually have a Reddit app on their phone. And this is only 52% under 34. So 
although there's a high proportion under 34, it actually does go across the age span as well. Mm. And I think that's really interesting in terms of thinking more broadly about apps beyond advertising on Google and Facebook, particularly when we've talked about those issues around trust. Mm. It's really thinking about expanding the base where ads can be placed. Yeah, Reddit surprised me in particular. Um, and again, it got me thinking. So I love when I when I read something and it tells me, A, something I didn't know and B, surprised me and what I thought I knew. The gaming thing was really interesting for me. And, and we covered esports and gaming last year. Um, we had Maeve Canellan on to talk about that. But it was an interesting area that came up again in terms of the facts and figures here. And, and as Dale mentioned, the level of, of participation and involvement in gaming. Because I think, again, as right, wrongly so unconscious bias, we, we probably think, Oh yeah, gaming is kind of a, a young male locked in your bedroom, cut away. It's a, it's an antisocial type of behavior and, you know, it's for a certain niche and it's far, far, far bigger than niche. I mean, we talked before about it's actually entertainment now. And so it's not just gaming and playing games. It's much, much bigger than that. What came out, even in terms of platforms, there was quite a lot in it, but give me, if you just give me some of the key points that came out in terms of gaming and platforms um, that surprised you from the research. Absolutely. So I think Dale mentioned it at the start that actually we saw nearly four in five of us are playing games and we see this spread across age groups pretty evenly, which is absolutely fascinating, as you say, when you look at and think about the stereotype of a gamer. But when we look at it in a little bit more depth um, in terms of the types of popular games, the most popular games tend to be things like puzzles, the sort of um, entertainment games, then action and adventure. So these are the sort of games that you play on your phone. Actually, what we saw that um, mobile games are the most popular, followed by laptop and then consoles. So that image of someone playing games on a console, being a gamer, isn't necessarily just where it sits now. And neither does the piece about people being alone. So actually, we found that 40%, so two-fifths, are actually gaming with others, either in person or virtually. And we'd imagine this has actually increased during COVID while people are trying to seek different sorts of online connections. In terms of the platforms you were mentioning, um, so YouTube and and Twitch actually would be the top platforms. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Twitch. So it's that platform for watching and playing esports. And we'd found that 22% had watched esports and 18% have played. And we have expect that's substantially grown in Ireland since there's been a global 24% increase in Twitch viewership during COVID. So that's up to 22.7 million daily users in March. So that's absolutely huge. Um, and it tends to be that harder to reach audience in that esports segment, which is 68% are under 34 So I think that's really interesting. And it's most likely been a very accelerated area in terms of enthusiasts and players due to COVID, Mm -hmm. particularly since all the more conventional games and sports are no longer available to people. Yeah, I I agree. I um, found myself watching some FIFA on TV, which was like kind of because there's there's nothing. It's the closest thing I can get to watching proper football. So yeah, I just guess that. And as you think about it, playing games on phones, it is just much more mainstream. And I think that's worth considering for brands, not just connecting in that environment, but also, you know, potentially tapping into gamification. And, you know, it's an interesting space for brands. Also, health was one. And again, Dale touched on that. Health came out and mental health was a prominent concern for people. But under getting under the skin of it a little bit, um, you found in terms of trends, 
Me Free was coming out as a, as a, as a big trend and one what's potentially worth bearing in mind for consumer sentiment at the moment. Could you just give me some of the figures on that? Yes, so um, 33% of adults have actually reduced their meat consumption since last year. And when you think of that in terms of consumers, that's actually 1.2 million Irish adults, which is really interesting. There's a lower proportion that identify with one of the more Tarian labels, as we call them. And the way that bears out is that there's 6% vegetarian, 1% pescatarian, 1% vegan, and then 6% actually identifying as flexitarian, which right. I think is a really interesting space. Yeah, yeah, it is. And that's worth considering in, in this kind of broader cultural context. Really what we've talked about is lots of these kind of communities and, and commonalities of interest. So one of the, the interesting things in the article, it was around the, the stat around solo exercise. So And the use of technology, because Dale talked about health and also talked about this pivot to digital. So the kind of convergence of those two things. I think it's quite an interesting space for brands in terms of how, I think you talked about how brands can play a role in facilitating communities or helping, yeah. you know, bring people together. So what were your, what were your findings on that? Yes. Yeah, so although over half of adults say they regularly exercise, as you mentioned, actually the majority of those, of those most forms of exercise tend to be solo activities, walking, working out in the gym or at home, swimming, cycling. And that's really interesting because, as you say, there's a really good opportunity for communities and brands to tie in here. And when you think about also fitness devices and that digital pivot, so there's 27% of people actually have a wearable fitness device. And part of that's around tracking and accountability, but they can also tie into apps. You can challenge friends um, and that sort of thing. And I think what's really interesting when you think about that is the opportunity to really build a huge platform like someone like Joe Wicks or Kayla, it seems, mm. that have built these enormous online communities who virtually work out together. They don't necessarily do it together, but they have that same sense of community, of support, of motivation, of accountability. And there's just so much opportunity, particularly at the moment, for brands to really get involved. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the last things that you talked about was, again, it came through was the, and it's it's in the community area. So this increased interest in recycling and sustainability. And one of the things that I found really interesting was that the whole area around pre-loved clothing, because that was quite a big trend that came through. And, you know, I have a problem with this throwaway culture, this throwaway society that we live in. It's just not sustainable. So, and I think that is really interesting space for brands. Um, you know, in terms of clothing manufacturers and clothing companies, it is something that is important to people and it's something that's growing. So uh, do you want to just tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so actually two thirds of people have bought, as I call them, pre-loved clothes. And I think that's really fascinating that other people might be using it to supplement other types of shopping they do. There's a definite openness towards a more cyclical economy. And thinking of that as well, three in five people have brought clothes that they no longer want to charity shops or asked people if they want them. So mm. nearly a third of people have seen if anyone in their community or in their friendship group wants to use their clothes. And that's actually seen a really huge growth now in things like swap shops and clothes sharing platforms. And it's a, it's a really interesting space to get involved in. And actually, one example of a brand begun to think about textiles in a more 
um, sustainable way is H&M, who allow you to recycle textiles in store. Mm. Um, and it's a nice way to think of a garment not just being discarded, but at least its potential for recycling or reuse. Yeah, and and because it's funny because I've been reading a few bits and pieces about trends going on, and and with there's a growth in kind of craft and that kind of thing at home. And I saw a, a nice piece by I can't remember the retailer, so um, but they were putting it about how to kind of redesign clothes that you're tired and sick of. And so I think that recycling, not recycling, recycling clothes, even you know bringing them to a a tailor or something like that to get them amended, it's just a really interesting. Um, it's one to think about for brands. Yeah, I could talk all day about this research because there were just so many really interesting and, and fascinating things that come out of it. But I'm going to just, in the interest of time, I'm going to just go back to you, Dale, for a second, if you're still with us um, and just say, <laughs> I am. so anyone who knows Dale will know this will be a hard question for her, but Dale, the succinct, just a one minute elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> well, how do you think brands should be thinking about some of these things? What do you think the key takeouts for advertisers or brands should be? Should we, how should we think about things differently? So if I say you've got 30 seconds, um, what would be your advice as to how brands should you know, use this? So I suppose I want to come back to COVID because I think as we consider the reality of emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic, economic recovery and value is going to dominate consumer decisions. Realistically speaking, the world that we exit into is completely unknown And societies and governments are having to kind of navigate the economic and the health crisis that COVID has placed in front of us. But the reality is that we are now starting a phased easing of restrictions and brands have a unique opportunity to make sure more than ever before to inform themselves about what's on consumers' minds to make sure that they can then talk to consumers and communicate their brand in a way that's relevant to the context that they're facing. And it would be remiss to consider only data that's been made available during COVID-19 because these are abnormal times. Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. If people, so again, is this a piece of research that's done? Can it be recut into different ways? Can it be sliced and diced? Um, If anyone wants to find out a little bit more about it, because we we literally only kind of scratched the surface here. So if people want to find out more, Dale, where can they find out more? Who should they contact? Where can they go? So so they can contact me via email. That's dale.wood at densuegis.com or just ping me a a message on LinkedIn if you you don't remember that email address or, or any other person within our group will we'll point you in our direction there is buckets of information available so we're delighted to help in any way that we can brilliant okay well we are out of time and uh, i just want to say thanks i found it yeah it was, it was a great read brilliant piece of work so well done on it so i want to say thanks to dale and claire thanks for joining me thanks dave, thanks, dave. and stay safe and um, we'll also say thanks to our partners in the irish science and media solutions and to remotely andrea on sound who's doing a, a blinding job here keeping me on track so uh, until next time talk to you later bye bye this is inside marketing brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions